Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to A Reason for Hope. I'm very glad to see you today. Well, technically see you. You can see us. <laughs> We're glad you're joining us. It's a figure of speech. We're glad you're joining us for A Reason for Hope today. It's a, a live show, an hour-long live broadcast, and it's guided for the most part by your questions on the Bible. That's right. That's what we're here to do. Receive your questions on the Bible, and we will delve into Scripture, into the Bible itself, to find the answers to those questions. So if you have a question on your heart, it could be maybe a verse or passage of Scripture that you'd like explained or expounded upon, maybe something you're going through in your own life, you'd like a biblical perspective, you'd like to know how to honor God with your situation, uh, that's another good question you can send on in. Maybe Christianity as a whole, maybe you're seeking or searching, maybe even other worldviews. As long as it's an honest question, as long as you know that the Bible is the source of the answers on this show, that's what we're all about here at Reason for Hope. So we're very glad that you're joining us, however you have found us, whatever platform or um, method you're using to view or listen to us. You are very welcome. My name is Dave Robson. I am your host today and we'll be fielding those questions as they come on in throughout multiple platforms with us today. Pastor Bo Willette, who's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship and also a luminous with this <laughs> yellow shirt. Hey, <laughs> don't knock it, brother. <laughs> um, you know, I have uh, a wonderful friend at the church uh, named Warren who helps me every Sunday morning yeah. um, outside doing different different things that need to be done around the uh, the, the buildings. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, the facility. And and he, this more or today, this afternoon, I was blessed. He gave me this shirt. He said, hey, Bo, I want you to have this shirt. It's his company on it that he works for. And I oh, said, nice. Man, that's great. So uh, I thought if I wore the uh, camo Calvary Chapel lid as well with it, it, it would be <laughs> definitely. There's a bit of a contradiction here because a camouflage hat and then the least camouflage <laughs> shirt you've ever seen. <laughs> it's, a, it's it's a little clashy, but you it's know, a thing. it's a look. It's a it's a fashion statement, brother. It's not yeah. a good one. It sure is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. For me, it's great. Yeah, but. I'm sure. Yeah, we like it too. Well, Bo, thanks for being here and yeah, making the time absolutely. to to be with us again. Bo's the the, the uh, assistant pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship and also an author, you know, pastor and um, wonderful man of God and founder of uh, Running Light Ministries, which is based around sexuality from a you know Christian biblical standpoint and all that good stuff. So thank you. And also with us, Peter Martin, Pastor Peter Martin, also an author also involved with uh running light ministries and are you working on your next book right now Did yeah yeah third fourth it's my third book yeah. third book yeah when when might we expect to see that uh, 2028 no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it but every time i'm about to finish it i realize that there's another book i have to read uh, i think i've read like 10 uh, at least a dozen books on this subject matter at this point but oh. i just keep on finding new ones that add to it so yeah. and i'm definitely stuck writing really my one and done no <laughs> no I've been well i have the two workbooks then the book born yeah. in a pastor yeah and then i'm i have another book that i've been writing for what five years mm -hmm. mm. yeah and i feel like it was like five years ago you gave me the first copy i know it's just but it keeps growing as our world keeps developing yeah sexually i'm like boy i gotta write another little section <laughs> on this yeah you know, i'm sure a book can take just years and years if you Probably yeah. a discipline to kind of sit down and just I'm going to get this. Yeah, well, if it's not your done. your primary job, where if you're yeah. it's your primary job, then you probably are under contract to write it in six months. But right, uh, fortunately, Peter and myself and Scott and you know uh, we're not doing that. Right. <laughs> I'm reading a book by Carl Jung right now, and he was like working on it forever, and he was like literally about to die, and his friends are like, 
let's just sit down, <laughs> let's <laughs> knock it out. And he knocked it out, and that that weekend he died. So you know, wow. maybe that will be my <laughs> story. <laughs> maybe that will be my story. We can <laughs> hope. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, you'll be ninety. We'll come by. Your yeah, house. that's right. Yeah, finish it up. Let's oh, get this down. <laughs> that's right. Come on, you got days left, brother. <laughs> anyway, thank you both for be, for being here. Um, on this, uh, what was it, Thursday today? I'm losing track of the week. It's been a busy week. But um, anyway, as I mentioned, Reason for Hope, it's a live broadcast. I don't know how to segue into my little presentation, but it's a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here in Mountain Standard Time. We're in Tucson, Arizona. That's where we're broadcasting from. Uh, we're at Calvary Christian Fellowship here. So if you're in the Tucson area and looking for somewhere to fellowship and uh, worship and serve the Lord, um, you can, you're can. you welcome to come check us out, of course, anytime. We're right near Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway, pretty convenient location. Um, so if you don't have a home church, <clears throat> like I say, you're welcome to come see what we're all about. But you can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. We are live there. If you go to that Watch Live tab, that will take you to our live page. You'll see the, the live video right now, and you can sign in with a username and um, send your question in through that method. I'll be there with you in the chat function. Uh, when we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show and you'll see a schedule of upcoming events so you won't have to miss anything. We stream our services live as well and uh, memorials and all kinds of events um, that we have going on here. So anytime we're live, you will find us right there. The direct link ccftucson.online.church. If you type that into your, your search bar, your address bar there on your web browser, ccftucson.online.church, that will take you straight to that page or follow the link, as I mentioned, from calvarychristianfellowship.com. We're on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash Tucson, or just search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson on Facebook, and we are live there. We'd love it if you would like and share if you've been blessed by this ministry. Um, if you haven't been blessed, share it anyway. Maybe it'll find someone that will be blessed. So either way, just share it around. No? Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> but so you can send your questions in there as well on the chat box, and I will be watching there too as your questions come on in. We have an app for your mobile device, whether it's iPhone or Android or iPad or all those things. If you look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, once again, in your app store, look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. That is our app, and you can download it and then watch us on your mobile device. Uh, we have a channel on Roku as well, and we have a channel on Apple TV. So if you go to your channel store, you can add us as a channel on those devices and watch us on your big screen at home. Uh, we're on YouTube, of course. If you look for A Reason for Hope, that is the name of the channel on YouTube, A Reason for Hope. Uh, you'll find archived uh, versions of the show. Anytime we've been live, it archives automatically. There are that live tab. So if you missed the show or you want to recap or even check out our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, uh, that's all right there for you on YouTube, A Reason for Hope. Don't forget to like and subscribe and uh, click on that notification bell. Then you'll get a little notification when we're live as well. And you won't have to miss any. Our senior pastor here, Pastor Scott Richards, uh, he's not with us this week. He'll be back next week with us, but he's on Twitter. Scott R for H is his handle. Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. And he posts highlights from the show. He posts commentary on like, world events and news events. He, he often, when he's here, gives us a little prophecy update with things going on um, uh, around the world, in the Middle East especially. So if you um, are interested in those things, follow along with Scott on Twitter, Scott R for H. We're on Rumble as well. We post our archive there. So if you're on that platform, look for a Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. You will find us there. We're not live there, but we post our, uh, an archived version of our videos and some other videos as well. And then we have an email address, of course, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com. You're welcome to email us there anytime with your questions. If you listen to us on the radio, Reach Radio or another one of the radio affiliates, 
you are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded so you're kind of a day behind so to speak but you can use that email address questions for hope at gmail.com and we will get to that question on our next show lord willing and consider joining us on one of those other live platforms that i aforementioned and once again send your questions in get them in early and we'll try and allot the time uh, that we can today to those questions and we're very grateful for your questions many people mention that uh, they don't sometimes send a question in but somebody else asks a question that's on their heart or vice versa so be brave send your question in there's no dumb question as long as it's a honest question and as long as you know we're going to use the bible to find those answers that's what we're all about well with that being said usually at this point we like to pause and pray peter would you like to pray for us sure today that'd be great yeah uh, well dear god thank you again for all the wonderful things that you're doing in our lives how you care for us how you love us how you gave your son for us I too pray that right now that we would give this time to you, that we would be uh, willing to focus our attention on your word and your truth, that those listening would be edified as a result, and that me and Bo would be able to glorify you in the way that we speak. We're grateful for you, God, and in your name, amen. 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 Well, we, uh, we talked about picking up. We kind of ran out of time yesterday. Mm -hmm. We're on a really interesting question um, on the environment from Diana, right? We wanted to kind of just finish that up today. Um, Diana was asking for our thoughts on the environment um, she says something that I find interesting in Revelation. It says God will destroy those who destroy the earth, which actually brings me hope. Doesn't that inherently mean that humans are in fact destroying the earth? I do believe that environmental degradation is due to sin and that sin, I absolutely believe, is causing climate change. I also believe God called it so, uh, called it before it was so. So we were talking about the environment. What should be our response to the environment? Should we be environmentalists? Should <coughs> we be trying to save the planet? Or indeed, is it all gonna burn so we shouldn't really worry about it because it's all going to hell in a handbasket so just let's just use it up so or somewhere in between yeah let's let's we'll start with you peter on this one and then i have some things to share but i noticed that on the video that you're going outside the the there you go <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I think we lost peter he just <laughs> fell over i'm like there he slowly is. Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 does awesome. someone have some nails <laughs> nails and a hammer <laughs> where we can we gotta just pin peter down yeah. somewhere yeah don't give me a rolly chair just give me a stool but yeah. uh no, no, no. Very good question. Uh, like you said, Bo, we got into it a little bit yesterday, but we thought it deserved a little bit more time and attention. So uh, a couple of the premises that I want to address in the question, and she says that, uh, isn't it true that human beings are destructive towards the planet? And the answer is, yeah, uh, because of the curse, because of sin. God actually says in Romans 8 that it was because of man's sin that he has subjected the creation to futility. So in other words, the, the entire state of decay that creation is in right now is because of the fall of man. Um, and you can get that really negative view of mankind and our nature and what we're doing to the planet. And we are doing some pretty atrocious things, don't get me wrong. But the mistake that we can make is believe that man only has a negative effect on the planet because Romans 8 continues to say that it's going to be because of man that creation itself is redeemed. Now that uh, Jesus becomes the forerunner for that, that's the language that the Bible uses, <clears throat> by his redeeming of flesh, that's why he was raised from the dead, we are going to be raised with him, the sons of God are going to be raised with God, and the world is going to be redeemed for us. It says the creation stands on tiptoe waiting for us. Now that also means that those who are Christians should have a redeeming mindset towards what we do on the planet. That means that our perspective has shifted. So uh, 
prior to our salvation, we may have had different goals and aspirations towards this earth, but we didn't have any guarantees. Now that we are saved, number one, our perspective should be towards redemption. Just as I have been redeemed in Christ, I believe that this power of redemption and resurrection is real and available towards everybody. And so my life starts orienting that way. It's about building up. I, I want to teach other people about Jesus, and I want to show or demonstrate Christ in all that I do. And some of that will be in preservation of the creative work. Some of that will be in creation itself, right? I, I might uh, orient myself towards creative works in order to demonstrate, again, the work of Christ and what he's doing in the creation. And that's a very, very beautiful thing, and that's what we should do. It doesn't mean all Christians do it. Uh, I think that there's been a long string of Christians who have looked at the world as being an illusion, almost like a Buddhist perspective, that the world is going to pass away and we're going to go into a spiritual state of nirvana. And therefore, they kind of disconnected from the earth and they stopped investing in it and they stopped planting crops and they stopped making art and they stopped uh, thinking about the systems of the world and they just kind of moved into mountains and became hyper-spiritual. Uh, I think that's a mistake. But then other people who move in and think that the purpose of this life is to simply get what you can out of it, uh, would take no care in preservation of the world because it's all about the bottom line. It's all about making a profit and doing well. And well, if I have to cut into profits in order to preserve something else, I'm not going to do it because I'm mainly going to uh, seek my own selfish desires. Now, there's another mistake that we can make, uh, and that is due to the idea. I'm sorry. One one last follow up on that. And I think what you're actually responding to is I uh, did an episode with Adrian Van Vactor on Monday where I talked about the importance of, of Christians in procreation, why it's a good thing for us to actually have kids and to raise them in a way that honors God. Mm. And that's actually something that God wants us to do. And I think a lot of people in our modern culture, including Christians, think that that's a bad thing, that humans are bad for the planet. Mm. And that's just not true. Right? Mm. Humans are good for the planet. God created the world for humans, not humans for the world. Yeah. Right? That's what we see in creation. He, yeah. he sets up the world, and then he puts humans in charge of it. So that means that the creation is for us, not us for the creation. Yeah. I guess you can see that in this, you know, in this question that we're overpopulating. Yeah. You know, I guess I can see how someone had that, like, why bring more? And it's a sinful world, a fallen world. We're overpopulating. We don't have jobs. We don't have this. Yeah. Having a child is you know, maybe a bad contribution. I, I can right. see how people would. Right. And I, 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 I went over that on Monday of how that's actually just false. It, it comes yeah. from a guy named Thomas Malthus, who came to a false conclusion about what population was doing to the planet. And it just mm. wasn't true. He, he, he came to false conclusions because he didn't consider one important thing. And that was human innovation and how human innovation actually can preclude us from overpopulating the earth and taking away the resources. So I, I mentioned that a guy named Paul Ehrlich wrote a book in 1968 called The Population Bomb that reiterated Malthus's ideas. The idea that, again, we're going to overpopulate the planet and everyone's going to die. And then a couple years later, Simon Vance, in the 80s, he wrote a book called The Ultimate Resource. And he contradicted Ehrlich. He said, no, 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 you're wrong. Human beings are actually going to innovate our way out of what is happening to the planet. And we're going to, the more population we have, the more innovation we're going to have. And the more innovation we have, the better things are going to get overall. And so they made a bet. Right? They put their money where their mouth was. So mm -hmm. they bet on five precious metals, and Vance bet that they would go down in price, meaning that they would become more accessible to us, and therefore more prevalent, and world conditions would get better as a result. Ehrlich bet the opposite, that they're going to become more rare and therefore more pricey, and human existence is going to decline as a result. Vance won. Simon Vance won in 2000. He won actually really easily over Paul Ehrlich, but no one talks about it because it contradicts this modern conception 
of overpopulation, how we're killing the planet. Another interesting book that I would encourage you to look at is by a guy named Bjorn Lomberg. He wrote a book called False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions, Hurts the Poor, and Fails to Fix the Planet. Uh, really excellent book, but he actually takes seriously the predictions of the UN panel where they say that, yes, uh, it's global warming pollution, uh, so pollutants created by fossil fuels. That's what's actually speeding the increase in climate in, on the planet. Now, he, he just kind of takes that for the sake of argument, but I do want to point out that back when you guys were young, the, the actual <laughs> desire, I mean, the actual thought, yeah, which was a long time ago. <laughs> How old uh, am I? Yeah. Look at this kid so, over here. Yeah. When, when you guys were young, the prediction was actually global cooling. That's right. Yeah. And right. then it shifted to global warming, and now they just call it climate change. They're hedging their bets a little bit. <laughs> and the earth was only a few... Uh, couple billion old and now it's like <laughs> 4.7 yeah now it's, i think it's more like 6.5 man in a couple of years it'll be like 8.9 it, <laughs> it just keeps going older. up yeah. going up and up but the point is is that we don't really know exactly what the effect of of the pollutants we're putting into the atmosphere is having on global uh climate as a whole we just don't know because there are so many factors that we can't actually account for uh considering the fact that the number one co2 emitter on the planet is the ocean Right, CO2 is what organisms naturally emit that intake oxygen. And the ocean actually has quite a few things underneath it that emit a lot of carbon uh, dioxide. So th there's a lot of things that you have to take into account and you have to look at. It's really difficult for us to figure out what our effect on the planet is. Now that doesn't mean I don't believe that we should be seeking out more clean energy. It just means that we don't really know how much of an effect humanity is having on the climate changing. Mm -hmm. We know it is, but we don't know how much of an effect we are actually having. But he takes all that for granted. He's like, fine, let's say human beings are the cause of global warming. Let's say it's going to do all the predictions made by the UN. Let's say it's all going to happen. He looks at the planet as it is, and he looks at the effects global warming has already had, and he talks about how human innovation, once again, has actually made it possible for us to live below sea level. Take uh, New Orleans, for instance. So in New Orleans, you have a, a city literally underneath sea level. And the reason why they're able to live there is because they built levees. Now, they didn't build them very well, and that's why Hurricane Katrina flooded it. But now they've built it up even more, and now it hasn't flooded ever since. So human innovation is actually able to get us out of that. Beyond that, he points out, if the world gets warmer, guess what? Do you, what do you think kills more people every year, cold or heat? Cold does. Yeah. So actually, as global warming goes up, less people are dying as a result of mm -hmm. climate. Now, when you see a hurricane go through a third world country like Haiti or something like that, it kills thousands. Hurricanes go through Florida like every other week, basically. And it doesn't even make the news because they've innovated to the extent where basically nobody dies right. from these hurricanes. And that's something that human beings could do. So Bjorn Lomberg does a really good job of explaining that. Now, again, this is not, I'm, I'm quoting things not from the Bible, but I'm starting with the premise of God wants us to take care of the planet and God would desire for us to procreate. And I'm trying to show how we can look at the world and we can reconcile that truth with what we see empirically, actually. So uh, it, we don't have to kind of close our eyes and be like, well, God tells us to procreate and I'm going to ignore all the damage we're doing to the planet. No, I want you to open your eyes fully and not just see one half of the picture, which is what is tended to be shown in mainstream venues. Uh, and that's really important. So I think yesterday you pointed out like, hey, we need to take care of the planet but oftentimes we might have a faulty idea of what's beneficial for the planet. So um, anything you'd like to add or? or 
Um, I would just that. add that in the commandments, the like as in the Ten Commandments, you have um, remember the Sabbath day mm-hmm. and to keep it holy and to do uh, no work on this day. And this is something that Israel was to observe. And uh, if you go over, that's in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. But if we moved over, say, to Leviticus, and you read chapter 25, verses 1 and on, it says, The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites, and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year the land is to have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath rest to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. Okay, so the land is to have this temporary rest. Um, So every six days, it was to have a rest every, uh, well, every six days, then a rest, and then every seventh year or six years, then a rest. Mm -hmm. And um, we see that even in, the, I think it's the Jubilee year, you even get another, another rest for the land. And, uh, and it's interesting, God reiterates throughout the Torah that it is his land. That It's kind of mm-hmm. neat. It's like God says, hey, this is my land. And um, you guys kind of are stewarding it, but you are to steward it the way that I command. And... Um, and Israel, if you know the story of the Old Testament, of course, Israel fails and they do not keep the Sabbath year. Mm. And, and so they go into captivity for 70 years mm. uh, by the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians. And 70 years are, are the reason it's 70 years is because it's 70 Sabbath years right. that they failed to let the land rest. And so God says, I'm going to give an accounting for the rest. I'm going to give that land its rest. Mm. And so he kicks the people out of the land and he gives them the Sabbath rest. Now, the reason I bring all this up is because obviously uh, if, if you're a Jewish person out there, you know, and the idea of environmentalism comes up, well, environment anyway, maybe not the ism part of it, but just... In the environment, you know, to the Torah, to the to the first five books of the Bible, you better be sure the Jewish person's going to be like, oh yeah, we got to take care of the land. Yeah, speaking on that, um, I, I read a really excellent book last year called Exodus by Leon Uris, and I think you yes, said you read it yes. too. Yes, yeah, and a fictional it's, writer, it's a fictional writer about the, the true story of the rebuilding of Israel. And the cool thing is, is that a lot of these Jews that are rebuilding Israel are like secular, but they still have their their faith kind of deep down in their roots. Oh, yeah. And you see their perspective of the land while they're rebuilding it, kind of like what you're saying, where they like they went into these swamps and they planted eucalyptus trees because mm-hmm. it drank up a lot of the water and it, made, it dried it out. They were planting like all these things. And they had this word. It was in the Hebrew camera it was, but it basically means reclaim. And the idea was like, we're reclaiming the land because uh, Mark Twain said that when he visited the Holy Land about, you know, 80 or so years prior to the events of the recapturing of Israel, uh, he said it was the greatest disappointment of his life because it had just gone to ruin. You know, it was just vegetation gone everywhere, swamp land. It was just terrible. And they took the land and they didn't just take it. 
they reclaimed it. They and actually, this is, this is when Israel went into the land in 1948. Absolutely. And yeah. that's, that's a picture of kind of the purpose of man, to be gardeners, right? They came into the land. They weren't just like, well, this is what nature wants. It wants yeah. a barren wasteland, so we're going to leave it. Man's innovation was able to come in and actually rebuild the land in its vegetative state to make it thrive. Now, I think it's like the third greatest producer of fruit in the world. Yeah. So that's an example of people coming in saying the land is important. We're going to yeah. actually observe do it. it. And, 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 and so um, I have my brother um, has told me about a farmer in <clears throat> our country here mm -hmm. in the United States that actually holds to the Torah yeah. mm. as far as his own land. Yeah. So he observes the uh, weekly Sabbath and he observes the yearly Sabbaths, yeah. you know, just to give the land its rest. Mm. And so, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, environment, yes, yeah. important. You know, does the environment is groaning with birth pains, yeah. seeking its redemption. The, 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 the earth's redemption, the creation's redemption, you're right, is pre predicated on the redeeming of human beings. Right. And that's what Romans 8 is about. Um, environmentalism, that's where I would, that's where my red flag comes up. Right. Is like mm. environmentalism, mm, I don't know. Mm. I, I don't know what the, the money, how the money's working. Is it really just a ploy to make money in different areas? But there's no doubt. I mean, my, my ancestry is from New England um, and uh, paper mill towns. Mm. And there's uh, a lot of, uh, you know, forestry that goes on taking out, land, you know, big chunks of land yeah. for the sake of making paper yeah. uh, along the Andres Androscoggin River out in Maine. And, um, you know, you can't do that. You know, you can't, I mean, you can't do that on large levels yeah. and um, without some kind of um, issue mm. that happens. But, you know, you watch, uh, I mean, the neat thing about all the videos we have today is you can watch a TED Talk about how the big wind turbines, when you're going up the grade, going up to uh, Los Angeles, yeah. and you're going through, um, you know, the Desert Valley there. And that those things are not very good not environmentally. Very <laughs> and the batteries are terrible for the environment. Yeah, and they and they yeah, swipe you can collect out power, birds. And but you got to store it somehow. <laughs> right. And you got to use some pretty corrosive metals in order to do that. Right. And then you 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 read about how what it what it's like for you know kids to mine cobalt yeah. in Africa yeah. that that are used in Tesla batteries and and other mm. uh, electronic cars I think the the and, best meme that the, came out last year the, I think that just captures yeah. California perfectly right is uh, you know all these people were hooking in their electric cars to try to drive to work and be conscious of the environment they overloaded the grid and it you know, shut down <laughs> the grid and so there's this great meme of a guy who had a gas-powered generator and he was filling his car up, his Tesla up with a gas powered generator on the side of the road. And, you know, people are commenting. They're like, you know, if you were to maybe tape that, like, you know, ratchet that down under your hood, then you could just fill that thing with gas and like drive around. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's so true. That's that's where I think, you know, in my and I'm from California, you know, me and yeah. Scott are from California and we we know the drill. But, uh, you know, we also know that, uh, you know, there's money making machines out there. Right. And uh, and, uh, you know, um, you know, corporations are out there to make money. And that that is the bottom line. Yeah. you know, is the the money that's made. And so, um, 
you know, environment, yes. Environmentalism, I got to check with. And we also got to be careful because a lot of people in the environmentalist movement, they're not shy about saying this. They, they are not very fond of human beings, right? They're, they're very fond of the, the earth, but they're not very fond of human beings. Uh, it doesn't mean that they hate us and we think, they think that we should be wiped out, but they're not going to shed many tears if a lot of human beings die as a result of their policies. So a uh, good example of this would be just, I think it was last year or the year before, Texas had switched over a lot of their power grid to the wind turbines and things like that, and they went through a, a, a massive blizzard, and it froze the wind turbines, and it shut down all their power, and this massive blizzardy storm, which would be bad, right? You know, you go up to Maine and places like that, they have below zero temperatures kind of often, but they have things called heaters, and it keeps people warm, and it allows them to not die when temperatures get that low. The problem is, is if you have the wind turbines frozen over and it can't, the power grid shuts down, people don't have access to heaters anymore. And a lot of people died as a result of these environmental programs. So another thing that we have to balance is like how many of these systems are going to cost human lives? Because some of them will. Uh, and Bjorn Lomberg, again, he points that out, that the countries that are going to be most affected by these green initiatives are second world countries. So first world countries, we have enough money and resources, it will affect us, but it won't affect us that much. Third world countries, doesn't matter. They don't have any fossil fuels because they're third world countries. Second world countries, these are impoverished countries that are trying to industrialize to catch up. This is places like India and, and places in the Middle East as well as like uh, somewhat China as well. If these green initiatives go through, it's going to not only harm them in severely detrimental ways, it's going to cost many, many lives. So. If we're going to look at it, you know, we're going to have to look at it again with both eyes open and say, what's actually best for the planet? And we're going to prioritize human lives over what we consider natural resources, because human lives are what's most important, right? God died for man. He didn't die for the planet. So in the metaphor that Jesus uses of the treasure buried in the field, right, the field represents the earth. But why does Jesus buy back the earth for the treasure buried inside, which is humanity, right? He's, he cares about the world, but he cares more about humans. So yeah. I think that's really important. No, yeah. that's a great point. Yeah, it is. Well, Diana, thank you. Hope that yeah, you're able to- Yeah, good uh, question. Yeah, join us again to catch the second half of that question. <laughs> um, it's a great, definitely a great issue and thing to discuss. So thank you for that. Uh, question from uh, Meg. Uh, from yesterday, and you're joining us again today, and you restated your question. Thanks for doing that and, and hanging in there. Uh, Meg asks, should we as Christians get involved in boycotting and politics, or should we just leave politics alone? I boycott everything. <laughs> I'm off the grid. That's why yeah. I'm not even moving. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is a good one because, um, you know, I, I've been uh, in the church a Christian, you know, a person who believes Jesus is the Christ now for... Um, probably 35 36 years yeah. and um and i remember when i first came to christ um was so long ago peter so <laughs> it was long a while ago, ago. Um, it's before i was born yeah, yeah. <laughs> legitimately but you, when christianity yeah. was first invented that's right yeah. back with abraham lincoln and yeah, stuff hanging out <laughs> but i remember proctor and gamble and for those out there that are my age or older you you know exactly where i'm going with this but Procter and Gamble was a big one where, you know, I, I think it, maybe they made the Ouija board or something. And, um, and so that was a big banning thing that mm -hmm. was going on. And, 
you know, and it seems like it, it happens, you know, every so many years where, you know, there's this, these boycotts that go on. And, um, you know, I think early on in my Christian life, you know, I, I read the book of Romans and uh, I remember a passage at the end of chapter, I want to say it was chapter maybe 14, where it says, whatever's not done in faith is sin. And um, it's talking about issues of conscience, you know, before the Lord. Yeah. And um, and that we need to take our conscience, you know, and, you know, that ability to recognize the difference between right and wrong in our heart. And we need to bring that before the Lord um, and say, hey, God, can I really shop there in faith, mm-hmm. you know, in faith unto you? And... And that's kind of where I drew the line uh, biblically was, you know, if I can't do it in faith in the Lord, then I'm not going to do it. What I also found out, which is very much like the environmental question, is that our our world is a corrupted world. Um, And, you know, the Bible makes sense or tells us that the world is in enmity with God. And the word enmity is the idea of like a a hatred against Mm -hmm. God. And all that's in the world, the book of 1 John tells us, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not things of God. And and yet our world is absolutely moved by greed and so much yuck. It's beyond our even comprehension of how much um, we have fallen from God. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's hard for people to hear this because, you know, some people would say like, well, is it what you're saying? Like every company, you know, evil and everything evil. And my answer would be, well, it's d- definitely not holy. <laughs> it's definitely not, you know, this is not what God intended you know, is there to be, you know, this, a military industrial complex and this complex and this big pharma complex and this thing. And, 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 you know, I I just don't think this is what God designed for us in, in the way that the world works and how, you know, money and power and greed and envy and strife and getting over on individuals is how things uh, were to be in the beginning. And so our our world is somewhat, or not somewhat, it's broken. It's very broken. We need redemption. Right. And we need saving. We need a savior. And, and, and so with all that said, um, you can go hyper boycott and you can say, well, I'm not, I'm not going to go you know, I'm not going to buy anything here at this store because that store supports, you know, this thing and, and that mm-hmm. I'm, I disagree with. Or I, I don't want to go shopping here because that, you know, you can get really gnarly like that. Mm. And I guess like, you know, I don't know, maybe that works in a small town. I don't know. It's kind of harder probably when it's a bigger town, a bigger city and stuff like that. Mm. Um but I would say, you know, bottom line is, you know, you and I are both going to stand before the Lord. Yeah. And, you know, and it says, judge nothing before the time until each one will stand before the Lord. And we must give an account. Yeah. And we're all going to give an account 
for you know what we've done and yeah so and i would say you have to do it in faith under the lord absolutely so i'm going to give two of the strongest arguments for both perspectives yep. that christians can have uh by two intellectual giants that went at it a little bit yeah um so c.s lewis wrote a book that you and i both love yep. mere christianity mm-hmm. and in it he has a chapter about christian marriage and he makes a really interesting political point he says I don't believe that Christian marriage should be legislated in any way. So in other words, uh, let's say bans on adultery or bans on divorce unless it's for biblical purposes, I mean, biblical reasonings and things like that. He says, I don't really agree with that. He said there should be one type of marriage that happens within the confines of the church and legislated, therefore, by the power of the church, and then one type of marriage that you do before the state and has it's legislated by the state. And so his view is basically this. So taking that and building a philosophy out of it, which I don't think I'm wrong to do, his idea is kind of, well, we have our faith to God, and he's clearly pulling this from Jesus. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Render to God the things that are God's. We have a relationship to the state, and we have a relationship to God. And so if I want to be faithful to the Lord in my marriage, I need to do that in the church, but I shouldn't expect my neighbor who doesn't know God to have any type of marriage that reflects godly or Christian values. Yeah, Christian covenant of marriage. That's right. And so his idea is essentially he would look at these boycotts today, and I'm I'm sorry to speak for Lewis, but maybe I'm sure this is what he would say, given that mentality. He'd be like, hey, look, Target is doing something that's evil, but you know what? The CEO of Target, last time I checked, is not a Christian. And if you have a problem with that, kind of like what you're saying, it's to each one, stand before your conscience. You know, if, if it afflicts your conscience to go there, then don't go there. But if it's something that you're okay with, then then go to. Very much like the meat sacrifice to idols in Romans 14. If it afflicts your conscience to buy from there, do it. But if it doesn't afflict your conscience, don't do it. Now, Tolkien wrote back to C.S. Lewis, and he said this. He said, your premise seems to suggest that Christian values only work in a Christian system and wouldn't be beneficial for someone who doesn't know God. He says, I believe that the human being was created to function off the morality of the Bible, and therefore, even if someone doesn't believe in God, it would still benefit their life to live under the morality of God. Mm. And maybe in living under the morality of God, they would see the goodness of it. So he's quoting Romans 12 a little bit, where he says, Um, when Paul says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he says, proving the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God, meaning that Mm. as we live out the goodness of Christian morality, we prove that not only is it true because God said it, but it's true because it works, right? Mm. Christian morality actually makes your life better. Mm. (laughs) It actually makes your life better. It's it's not damaging to you. It actually doesn't afflict you, kind of like what you're talking about with giving the land its rest. It's not just God commands it. It's God commands it, and it actually does something good, right? It actually has a benefit to it. Right. And so Tolkien is saying, if we as Christians fight for these things to be legislated, our neighbors who are pagan and don't know God, number one, their quality of life will go up, and number two, they might be more receptive to the gospel once they understand that Christian morality works. Mm. That was his argument. So you have the two arguments. Those are the two strongest ones I could give. So Tolkien would look at the ban and boycott of Target, and he would say, we need to be gentle as doves, but we need to be as wise as serpents. And he's like, if the culture is promoting values and ethics that go contra to Christianity, whether or not someone knows God, they would be better off 
in a Christian worldview that says that you are, your gender identity is consummate with your biological sex, that you'd be a better off human being. Whether or not you attribute that to God and special creation is irrelevant. Your life will be better if that's the world that you're growing up in and living in. And hopefully, once you start understanding that it's better for you and your gender and your sex are one thing, you might begin to understand God's intent in that special creation, and you might give your life to him. So therefore, the boycott of, say, Target or Budweiser for Tolkien wouldn't be uh, totally, I feel, convicted buying things from there because in, in the main thing that the question is referring to is Target was selling uh, items that would allow for children to essentially tuck their genitalia uh, in order to start transition at a young age. And many people were like, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that they're even selling something that would allow for young boys to be able to tuck their genitalia. I don't, I don't think that's good. I think that promotes a worldview that's really destructive and bad for kids to go through. And they look at the suicide rates of young kids and they say, well, maybe the gender ideology has something to do with how many kids are yeah. losing their purpose and sense of will and losing their sense of reality and taking their lives. So, so Tolkien would say, well, it's not primarily about my conscience and buying from Target. It's actually about what kind of values is my culture promoting? And does that really coalesce with what would be a good life? Yeah, do, so, you, think, do you think the passage in uh, Corinthians that um, when Paul's talking about, you know, in that section, he talks about, hey, you know, don't eat that stuff in the, in the uh, market. Mm -hmm. and, but he, he makes the point of like, what does, is, what is, um, you know, God have with, you know, had um, to do with mammon. I mean, not have mammon, to do but with, uh, basically like demons. Demons. Kind of, yeah. And uh, um, you know, do you think that would play that kind of? And I, I'm going to try to find the passage, yeah. but I think you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I think it would play a little bit in in the idea of like if I participate in the system, do I share guilt? Right. Um, and and that's a good question. And you know, on Wednesday we're going through the Book of Ezekiel. And you see that balance where God is saying, hey, I'm not going to punish someone for someone else's sins, right? If your dad sins, I'm not going to kill you. However, God does seem to suggest, right, the reason why he doesn't preserve the nation of Israel through their sin, and he's not saying, like, well, I'm just going to—there are some righteous people in Jerusalem, like Jeremiah, so I'm not going to wipe them out for that reason. No, no, no. What does he say? If you're righteous, leave, because this system is under judgment, and if you stay under it, you are participating in it, and it's yeah. about to be judged, and yeah. you're going to be wiped out with it. And, and now some people, like I've already mentioned, they might say, oh, well, I'm boycotting, you know, Target, yeah. you know. But then, they, but then they don't realize that they're shopping at another place that has its issues right. as well. And so <laughs> the, the strategic, and, and that's why I'm saying I'm giving the best possible version of this <laughs> right. argument. Right. The, the, what Tolkien would probably say is it's not really about necessarily shopping at a store that's pure and holy because there's mm -hmm. no such thing. Mm -hmm. But it's about what kind of values are being promoted. Promoted in it. In the culture. And so he'd say, okay, if I go to Walmart, what kind of values does Walmart have as opposed to Target, probably not great ones. I haven't looked into it, but I'm doubting the CEO of Walmart is, yeah. you know, kneeling before the cross. They've and, had their know. issues. Of, <laughs> yeah. Um, what is it? Child labor, I think it is yeah. back in the day. Absolutely. And, and not great business practices, but the idea is I'm going to, excuse the pun, I'm going to target yeah. this particular corporation and I'm going to show them, use them as an example to show them, I don't want these principles being promoted. 
whatever you believe in your heart about gender ideology, I don't really care, but I don't want to walk into a target and see these kinds of ideals promoted so blatantly in front of my kids. So therefore I'm going to boycott you knowing that other corporations share your value system, but basically hitting you hard enough so that they think twice before they promote it as well. And again, the idea is, I believe that the Christian value system is beneficial for people whether or not they know God, and maybe it will lead them to know God. I think some Christians in the Lewis camp will say, well, isn't it more important to share with them the gospel? And the answer is yes. What Tolkien's saying, though, is that there might be a more nuanced way to promote the gospel. Mm. And one of the reasons why you have this minority of people, right? There's, if you take a poll, how many people in America actually believe that a man could become a woman or that it's beneficial to tell a kid who is five years old that they should tuck their genitals in their bathing suit because they're actually a girl because they feel that way? If you took a poll, I guarantee you it is the vast, vast minority of people. The problem is, is that the majority of people have remained silent about this issue and they've allowed an oligarchical system, a system of elites, that have one particular worldview to top down promote these value systems utilizing media and systems of power in order to do so. And we as consumers have a power system. We could say, I refuse to participate in your system. Once again, this is not saying you need to align your values with mine, because I think that would be, as you're saying, it's a little utopian. I don't think you're going to get there. But saying, I don't want you, right, they tried it. (laughs) But to say, I don't want you to promote your values in the public sphere, right? So that's Tolkien's view. Lewis's view is, it's not really my place to say whether or not these people do it. It's my place to figure out what's going on in the church, not what's going on in the world. And I've said before, when I was in my 20s, before I was married, I 100% agreed with Lewis. But now that I'm in my 30s and I have kids, I'm like, eh, I, I think I, Tolkien might be I, right, right yeah. you know? And so I actually I align my values more with Tolkien, and I care very much about the cultural system. Now, again, we're not to be naive, and I, I think you're so right to warn Christians about having this utopian idea that we're going to fight the culture and it's going to be totally pure. You know, we're going to have this great culture. Read the history of Israel and tell me how well it worked out for them to have a monarchical system. Or the history of the church. Or the history of the church. It doesn't work out. But what you can do is say, look, Jesus is coming back, so we have hope and we have definite courage in fighting these fights because it's the right thing to do. And we don't know when he's going to come back. And I want to build a better world for my kids. I think a problem that Christians can get into, and this is the warning that Jesus has, by the way, about his second coming. He says, if you don't know when the master is coming back, you might slack off, right? You might start beating your fellow servant because you're like, when's he coming back? I don't know. I think a lot of Christians have that mentality. Well, Jesus is coming back and it's going to happen imminently. So why even do anything? You know, well, you should do something because it's the right thing to do. You should care. You should care, right? And we shouldn't have a utopian idea of we're going to win because we might not, right? But we might and if we could shift the culture... I mean, yeah, the cultural win. Right. We could have a cultural win that could benefit our country, not forever. Uh, I think one person put it this way. He's like, it's like a doctor. You know, when a doctor is caring for a patient, he knows he's fighting a losing battle. But what's he going to say? Kind of like we're talking <laughs> about the environment. Well, you know, you're going to die one day. So really, why do this? Why do you know? anything? Why, do, why, why cut that tumor out of you? Eventually, something's going to kill you. Maybe right. I cut the tumor out of you today and a semi hits you tomorrow. So why even do it? You're fighting a losing battle. One day, America will lie in ruins. If the Lord tarries, one day, the American experiment will fail. 
and our values will go away and a new system will be brought up. Maybe it'll be better, maybe it'll be worse. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, is it will fail. It will die one day. Every country has their time in the sun and then it dies. And you know what's but it doesn't mean we shouldn't fight. Right, right. <laughs> and, and you know, you even look at the history of what we know today as America and it, and it, it came from decisions of people uh, to leave uh, tyrannical systems right. uh, of power yeah. and trying to change culture and trying to, and they couldn't win that battle, right. you know, where they were at. Right. They were persecuted and uh, under uh, arrest, right. basically. So, you know, they had to go. Uh, let me read that passage in Second Corinthians chapter 6, because I do believe it's a very relevant one to this question. It says, mm. verse 14, do not be yoked. Uh, together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can light have with darkness what harmony is there between Christ and Belial what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols for we are the temple of the living God as God has said I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people Therefore, come out of them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Mm. So, very cool. And then he says, since you have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Absolutely. So, you know, you do something out of, you do a boycott out of a reverence for God. Yeah. Man, wow. That's Hey, nothing's wrong with that, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, and and like you said, if someone looks at it the other way, says, you know what, towards faithfulness towards God, maybe I'm looking at Target, I'm saying, well, Target employs a lot of people. And yep. I think this is kind of a naive way to look at things, but, you know, you do it out of faith, and that's good. You know, you say Target employs a lot of people. I don't want to hit them just because of this, and so I'm going to keep shopping there. That's out of faith. Okay. And maybe right. and maybe instead you write a letter. Right. Or maybe instead you, you, you know, write a letter of concern. Yep. And, you know, to the to the corporation. Absolutely. And as Christians, I think what Paul is really endeavoring to do in these passages is he's trying to, he has an opinion, right? When you read 1 Corinthians 14, there's clearly, a, I'm sorry, Romans 14, you could clearly see Paul leans one way in the argument of what he thinks Christians ought to do when it comes to meat sacrifice to idols. But his main goal in that passage is to preserve peace within the fellowship. Yeah. And he's saying, like, what's wrong to do is, as a Christian, me looking at another Christian going into Target and being like, you support child mutilation, and you're, <laughs> you're, you're totally into it, too. Well, that's not true. Yeah. Or for the Christian who is uh, going into Target, looking at another Christian saying, that's like economic terrorism, and you're ripping down corporations, and you're bullying people, and you're giving into Christian nationalism— be careful, right? Because someone might be acting out of faith, and it's okay for us to disagree and believe very fervently in your faith system that you're right and correct, and also simultaneously believe that someone else also thinks that they're right and correct, and yeah. have a disagreement, and let the best idea win. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and the great thing about, you know, what we do have going on in our world, in our country anyway, is that if you want to get people's attention, other Christians' attention on a subject that is going on in, uh, that you've mentioned, the particular stores and companies, you know, you can always start a petition or you can comb the, the, the um, uh, you know, where people park mm -hmm. and, and, 
and inform people. You can make flyers. You can, you know, you can hand out flyers on what you're thinking. Yeah. You know, you can have a town meeting. You can have something in your house to get. I mean, you know what I mean? So yeah. there's a lot of ways to do it. You don't, you know, there's a lot of things we can do. And what Jesus is really getting at when he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, or render to God the things that are God's, is he cuts right in the middle. Because one mistake that someone can make is politics is everything. Right? If we win the culture, we win. And that's not true. But then someone could look at it and say, well, politics is nothing. If we lose the culture, we've lost nothing. And that's not true either. So Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. The state has its place in your life. Yeah. And you need to do what's right before the state. However, render to God the things that are God's. The spiritual is more important mm -hmm. than the political. So I think as long as we get things aligned correctly, that I'm going to look at Christianity and my fidelity towards God and my desire to reach out to my community in faith, that's my priority. But I can use the culture to do that, mm -hmm. right? But when the culture becomes an end of the battle, then we've made a big mistake, for yeah, sure. That's right. yeah. Hey, Meg, thanks for that question. Let's try and squeeze one more. We've got five minutes left. Can you believe that already? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a question from John. Uh, he asks, are the stories we hear about people that have out-of-body experiences credible, the bright light being bathed in love, Etc. These people have, you know, near-death experiences and see the, the bright light. They're all true. All Every, one of, Every, one, Every one of them. Every one of them. Next any, question. Any of, those, <laughs> any of those in the Bible? There's some accounts of people that went before the Lord, right? And that kind of thing. Could that be related um, to that? Or So Paul does say that he went to heaven. And yep. some people speculate that he saw heaven during his near-death experience where he was stoned. Uh, presumably, it's, it's really ambiguous of whether or not when he got those rocks thrown at his head, if he actually died and God rose him from the dead, or yeah. if he just had a near-death experience. So Paul, Paul was uh, stoned to death, I think, in Lystra mm -hmm. during maybe his second missionary journey. Yeah, and um, and then the interesting thing about that section in the Book of Acts is after he was stoned and kind of left for dead, whether he died or not at that moment, we don't know for sure. Right. But he did actually uh, recover and go back into the city, <laughs> which is unreal. And some right? people believe yeah. that in 2 Corinthians 12, where he talks about seeing the third heaven, yeah. they believe that that was when that happened. We're not sure. It doesn't yeah. say, but that that's possible. Another interesting example of this would be uh, Jonah. So when Jonah was in the belly of the whale, he is he uses poetic language in Jonah chapter 2 but it seems like he thinks he's dead in the belly of the whale and once again that him being vomited up is actually a picture of being raised again mm. so whether that's symbolic or literal we're not sure but what is clear is he was having experiences with God in the belly of that whale that's really interesting so yeah. the idea is that our consciousness can live without the body so near death experiences might be evidence for the existence of the soul. Because if someone flatlines, right, they have brain death, right? Not just, not just their heart stops, not just they stop breathing, but their, their brain stops. And they're able to have experiences after that that would intimate that there is a soul. And so some people have these experiences. Now, um, is it delirium caused by, you know, oxygen deprivation to the brain? Maybe. Uh, is it an actual experience? Maybe. I think we got to take each of these accounts in on a case-by-case -case basis but i think that some of them do intimate again the existence of the soul so it's interesting yeah you know i just got done reading a book that was given to me by someone in our fellowship on um a christian's near-death experience so i just i just kind of got done reading this not too long ago yeah. um so it's kind of fresh in my mind but 
I remember reading it and, and kind of underlining a lot of it and thinking through it because it was very detailed and it was it was very um, it, it was super detailed. I mean, it was like, you know, I hung out with Jesus and this is how Jesus looked and this is how Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, this is the vibe and this is how he hugged me and this is how this was and this is how that. I mean, it was so detailed that it it, it kind of blew me away because Paul in Second Corinthians 12 <laughs> Um, he says, um, he says to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. So he got some amazing revelations too. He says there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I asked of the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. And this is really weird, what Paul's saying, because it seems so different from the book that I read. Yeah, he even mm. says that it's unlawful for him yeah, to yeah. speak what he saw. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I would not be a, uh, I would, uh, he says, and even if I should choose to boast, verse six, he says, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking <coughs> the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than what is warranted by what I do or say. Very interesting, right? Um, so he talks about this inexpressible um, vision that he has, and then he he just, it seems like he says, hey, you know, I'm not going to even get into it all. Right. You know? Yeah, very different to what you read, read. as you're saying. Yeah. yeah. We're out of time for today. both thank you. Peter, thank you. We'll be back again, same time and places tomorrow. For more of your questions, thank you for being part of A Reason for Hope tonight. Have a wonderful evening. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.